What's in a song? What's that one song that takes you to your own unique special place? Welcome to Love, featuring your host, Jane Donovan. The sun shines bright as it moves across my face. I feel the light. We've all got that anthem, our anthem. That one song that takes us to that really special place. Actually, I've got a couple that are useful in different situations. If I want to get an instant feeling of inner attitude combined with that spine-straightening, chin-raising posture and get my moves on, then Madonna's Vogue will do it for me every single time, has me feeling amazing, dancing and being all of this instantly. I hope you're laughing at seeing me voguing around my home with big attitude, likely all glammed up in my tracksuit and Ugg boots. It's a great look. Another anthem I have is if I'm about to step into something new, you know, the nerves are going, the self-doubt's pumping, then it's time for me to blast out on repeat Katie Tunstall's Suddenly I See song. This song for me is all about the lyrics. Music and song seems to be one of the easiest ways for us to connect to emotions. Who doesn't love putting on the retro radio station on a Saturday night and laughing at all the memories that come flooding back with each song? As we know, the body knows no difference between imagination and reality. So when we hear the song, we have the memories flood in. Well, we're really actually there again. In the good, the bad, and the often sad. So I use this information to deliberately anchor songs to emotions that I might want to call on at various times in my life. Anchoring is being able to get into the most powerful and appropriate state that you're desiring at any given moment using NLP techniques, or that's neuro-linguistic programming, to associate like a certain state or emotion with something that's going to trigger it. So in my case, I use music. Other things you could use might be scent or taste. Think of the memories that flood in when you smell food identical to your favorite dish from childhood. Anchoring's useful to call on for all sorts of situations in life that can really provide a heightened sense in the moment, like going for a job interview or a first date or wanting to remain calm in the eye of a storm. A study undertaken by the University of London demonstrated that music even affects how we see visual images. I found this fascinating. I'd never heard this. But in the experiment, 30 subjects were presented with a series of happy or sad pieces of music. Now, after listening to the snippets, the subjects were then shown a photograph of a face. Some people were shown a happy face, the person smiling, while others were exposed to a sad or neutral facial expression. The participants were then asked to rate the emotional content of the face on a seven-point scale, where one meant extremely sad and seven meant extremely happy. The researchers found that music powerfully influenced the emotional ratings of the faces. Happy music made happy faces seem even happier, while sad music exaggerated the melancholy of the frown. A similar effect was also observed with neutral faces. So what do I take from this? If I want to see more beauty in the world, then I'm surrounding myself with happy music. Now, I don't really understand how all this works. However, I love that it does 
So when I was recently given the chance to talk to an award-winning educator and researcher who specialises in the impact of music on cognitive development, I was super keen to have a chat with her. Dr. Anita Collins joins me today to share some fascinating research that's been going on around music, connection with mothers, babies, infants, the heart and the brain response, and how music can help us to grow in empathy. Now that's got to be a good thing. So Anita, the value of audio, of singing, is I believe your passionate area of research. What have you got to share that's recently been coming out? Because I think there's some exciting news. Yes, well, it's a very interesting area because my general area of research is actually on learning a musical instrument. But I have been visiting, I think I've visited 16 neuroscience and psychology labs in the last year. And a lot of the time I've been visiting infant labs, which is not my key area, but I've become fascinated by what they've been finding in terms of singing and how music influences babies, particularly under 12 months of age. So this is how Kindling and I came together to produce these podcasts with this new research that I've been able to Um, enjoy and find out more about. So what have you discovered about the connection of singing and music and children under 12 months? A lot of the things that I've discovered aren't new discoveries at all, but they are things that every parent knows and every parent experiences. What I've sort of found is that there is a lot of research going on that's um, verifying the things that we experience, but also explaining what's going on inside the baby's brain, what they're learning, what they're coming to understand, what they're feeling when they're being sung to and when they are singing. I find it so interesting when science catches up with what we already know. You know, we get the proof. It's wonderful to be able to say, well, I always felt this way, but now I've got the scientific proof. So as a researcher, I have to stop and say there never is scientific proof, but there is scientific explanation. And I think that's... Okay, thank you. scientific explanation for what we're seeing which often is intuitively what we understand I mean we've had millennia of trial and error to figure out things about raising children this just explains more about it and actually puts forward some ideas that we don't know what's going on in a baby's brain when a mother is singing to it there is so much going inside a baby's brain when a mum is singing and and a dad as well we've got to remember that it's all about the singing that they experience around them grandparents close members of the family even their siblings as well. I love that you've said that because I was going to ask, is this something that childcare workers could do, that nurses in hospitals could do? You know, this is really anybody, the favourite auntie. And the thing is, it's not new. Most people do sing to children. It seems to be this natural thing. And even when we think about singing, we actually have to think about it in its broader sense. So when I'm speaking, when anyone's speaking, we're actually doing a form of singing. Speech is song. It's got melody. It's got rhythm to it. And that's actually what babies are latching onto when they first hear singing. So we're doing it with and for them all the time. What's happening for them, the list is so incredibly long and it depends on what environment they're in, whether they're settling down to sleep, whether they're waking up in the morning, whether they're calming down from an excited situation, whether they're becoming engaged in being excited about something else. One of the most amazing things about this research is so much is happening at once and that's why it's hard. That's why it's hard to measure because it's not just doing one thing equals another thing, it is doing one thing equals an enormous number of processes going on for the child in their brain. One of the things that I always felt when I was singing to my children when they were overwhelmed or upset in any way was that I felt like my calmness, if I could maintain my calmness, which is the big challenge for most mums, 
they would start to meet my energy. I felt like their heart would slow down or their breathing would slow down to match mine. Is that something that is now having evidence that that's true? Yes, it's something called synchronicity. And I saw a wonderful experiment in Canada when I was there this year where there was a mum and her lovely four-month-old baby and they, they were in a sound booth just like this one and they were hooked up to very simple measurements of heart rate, body temperature, um, all sorts of things. And we were outside and we were watching a screen. And on the screen, it literally looked like an Etch-A-Sketch to start with. There were lines going everywhere. It didn't make any sense at all. And then as soon as mum started singing, and it didn't matter if she was singing in a really calm voice or she was singing in a very excitable voice, suddenly the lines aligned. The, these lines stayed synchronized all the way through the singing, and then they went back to an Etch-A-Sketch again. Wow, that's fascinating. Yes. Yeah. So my question would be, now bringing it back to your other area of passion of older children, can this continue throughout childhood? Does this have to stop? No, and it absolutely shouldn't stop. Our engagement with music actually changes from a developmental point of view all the way through our lives, particularly childhood, but it continues to have an impact all the way through life. And this research goes literally from the beginning of life, even before the beginning of life, right to the end of life, trying to find out why music is particular to human beings why we've created it and no other sort of species has and what possible point it serves at different parts of our lives. And there's an enormous amount of research trying to figure that very question out. Why do we have music? So it obviously stirs such a lot of emotion. And- there is such a close connection to our emotional beings. And they think it's because music processing in our brains is actually a very old network. So if we think of human evolution, the processing of music as sound is extremely old. It's been there for a very long time. They think it's because it's actually the network we use to first understand language. So we hear speech or babies hear speech as if it's music when they're first born. They don't understand the words. They don't understand the breaks or anything, but they hear the melody and the rhythm and something called the tone color of that sound and they hear it as language. So because it's so old and it lives in a very old part of our brain, which is a strange concept, but that's what they're believing at the moment. It has a very, if anything, short and close connection to our emotional selves as well, which is which are also very old. People who have Alzheimer's can put on headphones and be taken back to a part in their life. They're accessing that very deep part of themselves. It's beautiful to see that with patients with dementia. It's incredible to see them suddenly feel like or look like they've come alive and connected again, which is Beautiful. So I'm thinking, what about the person who's had a child that, you know, during either pregnancy or during the early stages of life, there was a lot of hostility and drama going on in the family unit, and that child may have therefore learnt patterning or hearing music of angry or upset tones. Could they potentially then have distorted views later in life around... I'm thinking of a particular child who always says, you're, you're yelling... You're yelling at me. And I've watched the parent and the parent's not yelling. And I'm thinking, I wonder if they've distorted all of this through that early memory of learning the song, the song of language, yeah. I think it's a a little too much of a leap to say it's a distortion, but if we just think of sound as information, it's like ones and zeros going into a computer. We then internally make sense of those ones and zeros. We ascribe meaning to them. Now, If you have a lot of variety of ones and zeros going in, then you get like a really rich idea of what language can be. If you have 
the same sorts of ones repeated over and over and over again, that again is just the information that's gone in and, and you interpret that as the majority or, or what happens most of the time. So it's about having that variety of sounds in terms of language, which is music, that children can experience. And it's not to say we can't ever be angry with them or upset. They've got to learn what all of those sounds sound like as well. I think for me, my understanding so far of the research is the variety is the most important thing and making sure that they still have a safety which comes with song with the family unit as well. So this whole research area is making us think differently about language development and how we understand language, how do we develop language, how do we teach language. And so getting to the variety, I remembering when I would sing to my little babies who are now nowhere near babies, repetition was a big thing. Yeah. So is repetition still important? Is it finding a balance between repetition and variety? Yeah. Okay, so that's st- the repetition still the way to go? Yeah, we as human beings, we like two things and they seem to be counterintuitive. We like repetition and familiarity and yet we crave novelty. We create, we crave something different and we keep jumping between those two things. As soon as we get something different, we want but to go back to safety and familiarity and repetition. As soon as we get bored of that, we want to go to novelty and that's part of being a human being and it's fantastic. That variety is coming back to those songs and they don't have to be children's songs but those songs that are just really important to a child, they seem to respond to well. They seem to enjoy, they seem to ask to hear over and over again. I know my daughter, we could listen to a song 10 times over and when she'd ask for it again, my impression was that she was gathering, still gathering information from that song. She was still coming to understand that song. And we do the same thing with pop songs. We just do it a bit quicker in that we, we love it and we crave it and it's fantastic. And then all of a sudden the switch goes and we go, oh, I'm bored of that now. I need my new one. Yes. Kids are the same, but they need more repetition. They need more because they, they're gathering that information for the first time. But the novelty needs to be in there as well. So listening to pieces, whether they be in a passive way, so in the background or in an active way, going to a live concert, um, listening to something together where you actually actively listen, having that variety of all sorts of different sounds, different styles, different genres, different instruments, different situations is actually feeding their brains. It's food for their brain. Beautiful. I'm thinking about the song that is sung to babies. Am I right that there's been research that says that helps in creating empathy and bonding? Yeah, there's some very interesting research about helping behaviours or what are called pro-social behaviours. So again, I got to watch one of the the leading researchers do an experiment with a 14-month-old where what they've found so far is they've had several conditions. You sing with a child, you move in synchronicity or in sync with a child, you read them a book or you sit near them but you don't actually interact with them. And then you do an experiment where you might have a peg, set of pegs and you're hanging something up and you drop one of the pegs and you say, oh, uh-oh, and they wait for this to see what the child actually does. Now, what's the most interesting thing in this research is the children that are sung to and the children that are moved, they move together in synchronicity in the, in the rhythm, so much more likely to actually see the problem feel empathy for the person that they've only just met who's sung a song with them or moved with them and then take action to pick up that peg. Now, at the age of 14 months, that's an extraordinary thing for a child to do. So it leads to the idea that we have singing and song and movement in rhythm has a bonding, very, very quick bonding, trusting 
element to it and that it actually encourages a child to be empathic and then to be helpful, which is anyone who's had children will understand just how hard that is to get that very difficult idea across to kids. So it makes me wonder about if we had more empathic and helpful children, how different school would be and family life would be and the world would be. It would be hugely different. So we've got to get singing, playing instruments and dancing happening a lot more in our life. Absolutely. So I'm a matchmaker as well. (laughs) And I'm thinking, right, do I start doing speed singing, dancing and playing musical instruments for a greater sense of connection? (laughs) It's like my version of the 36 questions. So I also love to think that if somebody was upset in adulthood, like I love, I love that we are learning new ways to raise beautiful new human beings to help nurture them to be the best versions of themselves. But I also love to think, well, how can we use these tools and take them into our everyday relationships with adults? I'm just imagining sitting there if one of my friends is upset and I start singing. While initially that might appear incredibly unusual and strange, I can imagine that being so soothing and such a beautiful heartfelt connection. Or if they were to jump on a guitar or a piano and play a piece of music, there's a bit of magic in it, isn't there? There's some magic there. There is. And there's a, a, as I said, because it's an old network and it connects so closely to our other old network, which is emotional response, it does look like magic on the outside. And the thing that is, it happens almost instantaneously. It is so quick that it happens. And, and I see it in, uh, different ways of reacting to really, really emotional situations. So if someone is experiencing intense grief, then holding them, but also we tend to just want to rock and we tend to want to keep that, that musical beat, which is a simple thing. If we don't just stand there and hold them, we actually move with them. And sometimes we do sing, but also sometimes how we use our voice becomes in song. We put an enormous amount of emotional response into it in order to sing to them in a way. So I think we have this very narrow idea at the moment of what singing is. We we believe it's what we see on Australia's Got Talent or on Australian Idol. It's not just that. We do singing in so many parts of life. So many people you see wandering around might just be humming to themselves. It's this very interesting idea of why do we do that as human beings? What's it giving to us? How can we connect with others but also connect with ourselves just through singing? Beautiful. I love that. Now, you've also linked in with a wonderful program, I believe, Anita, called Kindling. And Kindling is – or actually, would you like to tell me about Kindling? Kindling is a kids' radio station, and they're based in Sydney. And one of the presenters contacted me some time ago, and we did an interview, and she rang me back again when we did another one. And I said, oh, look, I'm just about to head off to all these infant labs overseas. It would be great. Would you be interested in hearing more when I came back? And she jumped on it and said it was great. So – We came up with this idea of having some short podcasts that would uh, go on the Kindling radio station and would be available, and very short ones. We know how short parents are for time, but having just an introduction to this field of research and some of the really amazing things that I got to see. And from that, I'm hoping to write more and to produce you know, a book for parents as well that helps them to understand and get an entry into this research, which I find fascinating, but at the moment it's hidden behind lab walls and in academic journals, and I just want to be able to bring it out for everybody. Beautiful. So if people are interested in following further on this, head to kindling.com.au, and you've got a podcast there that they can have a listen to to get more information. And after following the podcast, there's a playlist of songs for infants 
for parents to be able to sing and play with their children, with their babies. Is that right? Yes, there is. So lullabies, there's some very common lullabies and there's lullabies in all sorts of different languages. And one of the wonderful things about living in Australia is that we have so, well, in many countries, you have so many different lullabies and the babies don't understand the language. All they understand is the the emotion that's being put into the singing and the, the fact that that person is there and being what I call their favourite rock star. That's the most important thing that there is. So this is the playlist that comes afterwards helps with some ideas for that. But you could be singing the Tats Lotto numbers. It doesn't <laughs> as long as you're singing it in a nice slow tempo, beautiful low sort of voice, whichever low in your own range. And this is for dads and mums and carers as well singing it in a way that we all sort of know the structure of lullabies but again it doesn't matter what you sing as long as you just connect with that child about that calming element we get before we go to sleep calming and loving connecting with love beautiful any final words of wisdom anita just sing just give it a go don't care who listens because the audience you've got an audience of one maybe two maybe three but they will love to hear your voice and you're doing more than you know for them when you sing to them. It's time for Heart Talk. Several years ago, I read a gorgeous article that I went searching for to share with this episode. So here it is. There's a tribe in Africa where the birth date of a child is counted not from when they're born, nor from when they are conceived, but from the day that the child was thought in its mother's mind. And when a woman decides that she will have a child, she goes off and sits under a tree by herself, and she listens until she can hear the song of the child that wants to come. And after she's heard the song of this child, she comes back to the man who will be the child's father and teaches it to him. And then when they make love to physically conceive the child, some of that time they sing the song of the child as a way to invite it in. And then when the mother is pregnant, the mother teaches that child's song to the midwives and the old women of the village so that when the child is born, the old women and the people around her sing the child's song to welcome it. And then as the child grows up, the other villagers are taught the child's song. If the child falls or hurts its knee, someone picks it up and sings its song. Or perhaps the child does something wonderful or goes through the rites of puberty, then as a way of honouring this person, the people of the village sing his or her song. In the African tribe, there is one other occasion upon which the villagers sing to the child. If at any time during his or her life, the person commits a crime or behaves inappropriately socially, The individual is called to the centre of the village and the people in the community form a circle around them. And then they sing them their song. The tribe recognises that the correction for antisocial behaviour is not punishment. It is love and the remembrance of identity. When you recognise your own song, you have no desire or need to do anything that would hurt another. And it goes this way through their life in marriage, the songs are sung together. And finally, when the child is lying in bed ready to die, all the villagers know his or her song and they sing for the last time the song to that person. Now, I love this story for so many reasons, particularly having our own song unique to us to remind us of who we are. I, of course, also love that 
It's always love we need to be reminded of in any challenging time. Now, sadly, as I researched further to find out which tribe this tradition was from, I discovered Ada Manderley, who's a presenter, therapist and activist. Now, she has apparently spent considerable time researching this article because she too wanted to find the origins. However, allegedly, they're not from a tribe, but trace back to two Caucasian men who were writing, apparently, for a family magazine. So the story may well not be true. It may be fiction. However, I still share it today as I feel it's a beautiful story regardless. It's one that reminds us of the power of song the song that sings to us uniquely and that can be called upon at any time when needed. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please share it with those who may need to be reminded of their special song. And if you would like to hear more from Dr. Anita Collins, please head to the kinderling.com.au website for her podcast, The Lullaby Effect. And following the podcast is a playlist for Settle Petal. And until next week... Sing your song, sing it loud, and sing it proud. Life is perfect, I'm not trying, it's just happening.